You're listening to a podcast from JNIS. This morning I have Ning Lin with me, who is from the Department of Neurosurgery at Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. And Ning had published in the May issue of JNIS an Editor's Choice article entitled Treatment of Ruptured and Unruptured Cerebral Aneurysms in the USA, a Paradigm Shift. Ning, I really appreciate you spending time with me this morning to discuss your study. It was an excellent paper. Can you can you talk a, a little bit about the um, the design of the study and and maybe briefly summarize the results? Uh, sure. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Tar, for uh, inviting me to discuss our study. Um, in this uh, paper, we uh, we aim to describe the change in practice pattern of treating cerebral aneurysms in the United States. Uh, especially after the publication of International Subarachnoid Aneurysm Trial. Um, in doing so, we utilized a nationwide inpatient sample, which is a stratified database that is published every year by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as uh, part of the healthcare cost and uh, utilization project. Uh, we use this database to uh, identify and analyze trends over the last decade uh, in aneurysm treatments in this country. Uh, we found that um, um, there is a dramatic increase in the utilization of coiling during the past decade, uh, and that the use of coiling has become more uniform uh, across different types of hospitals and the geographic regions over time. Um, we think uh, uh, this shows both the influence of a high-profile randomized study and uh, also a rapid spread of available technology uh, for endovascular techniques. Yeah, I think the trends, even even if they weren't necessarily statistically significant in the paper, um, uh, were very interesting. Uh, for example, uh, it was interesting that, that there was a significant increase in total aneurysms treated from 2002 to 2007, and it was interesting to me that the vast majority of the increase was with unruptured aneurysms. Um, we see that locally here, and it's interesting in light of um, Ishua data. Um, do you have any hypothesis as to why that might be true? I mean, do you think it's just the fact that we're screening patients more frequently with neuroimaging, or do you think it may be a a difference in referral patterns between ruptured and unruptured aneurysms? Um, yes, so that's definitely one uh, interesting result that uh, that we found uh, as well in our paper that the vast majority of the increase in the volume of aneurysm treated seems to be more ruptured, uh, more unruptured than, than ruptured, mm-hmm. whereas ISAT, if anything, is a clinical trial on the ruptured aneurysms. Um, right. I think the uh, you mentioned, Dr. Tar, the uh, Ishua study. Although the, the the study itself seems to suggest a overall low rupture risk of incidental uh, intracranial aneurysms, but the sort of uh, publicity of the study seems to increase people's awareness of oh, there is identity of cerebral aneurysms, and if a ruptures can really cause significant problems, and then people may just tend to ask their doctors more if they happen to know somebody in their family who have an aneurysm and they may want mm-hmm. to get screened and want to get checked out. And uh, in this way, we there is a possibility we simply identify a lot more aneurysms than before. 
mm-hmm. and uh, also with the advent of uh, uh, interventional technologies, uh, aneurysm calling for uh, interruption aneurysm has been proven, especially in retrospective studies, very safe. Um, mm-hmm. So I think uh, uh, people uh, also knowing they may not necessarily have to go through a uh, craniotomy for treating an incidental aneurysm are more likely to have these incidental aneurysms treated. Right. Now, that makes sense. So, you know, there's been, over the years, sort of a shift in the numbers of different uh, players from subspecialties in endovascular. So it would be interesting to see if that had any, you know, played any role in changing treatment paradigms. Um, it's probably difficult to tease out the subspecialization yeah. uh, of the provider in the database. Uh, the database does provide sort of a physician code, but it's difficult to identify if this physician is a neuroradiologist in training or neurologist in training or neurosurgeon in training. But I, mm-hmm. I, I will say that, um, if anything, uh, this uh, I think the change in practice pattern uh, make uh, especially neurosurgeons increasingly aware that uh, endovascular techniques should be part of the repertoire that, that mm-hmm. we use treat uh, cerebral aneurysms and uh, in fact all cerebral vascular diseases. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the technology of uh, open and endovascular uh, therapies uh, should really be, uh, should really be a complementary and the, the best of care will probably be provided by close collaboration between the open and endovascular surgeon uh, or by a dual trained person. Right, right. It was good to see that there was a, a significant decrease in mortality rate for coiling procedures over the years. Um, I mean, that's probably a combination of factors, you know, case selection, learning curve, improved technology. Uh, do, you, do you have any views on that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that uh, the improvement of technology and uh, increasing expertise in this area uh, probably contribute to uh, the decrease uh, in mortality in uh, for mm-hmm. those who are coiled, um, and also for the uh, sort of the ruptured group, uh, I think just overall increasing uh, the improvement of neuroanesthesia, the improvement of uh, intensive care, also uh, overall lower the uh, uh, the mortality rate in this uh, ruptured aneurysm group. Oh, that makes sense. That, yeah, that makes sense. Being from the Midwest, I found it interesting that the regional differences in the U.S. were interesting. It's, uh, interesting to me that the the Midwest had the highest trend towards coiling, uh, which was a little surprising just because I think of the Midwest as a fairly conservative uh, population base. But, um, you know, we're conservative in some things and, and not in others, I guess. So you brought up the fact that there's an increasing number of smaller hospitals that have endovascular therapy available and uh, are, are coiling aneurysms. It seemed in the report that with the smaller hospitals, there was a decreased mortality for ruptured aneurysms, but it seemed like there, were, there was an increased mortality for unruptured aneurysms. Um, so do you think that that's probably a hospital referral thing? The trend for unruptured aneurysms may be volume of procedures, or what do you make out of that? 
the hospital volume and the sort of concentration of care um, has been quite a quite important topic within neurosurgery uh, for a mm -hmm. while. And I think Dr. Barker's group in MDH has uh, uh, published multiple papers also using the NIS database in the past uh, describing sort of hospital and a physician volume is linked to the outcome of a procedure. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's, that's definitely true for, to a certain extent, and uh, uh, but at the same time, I, I think uh, from what our analysis shows, uh, we see that the technology has spread um, from a from larger, uh, more academic teaching hospitals to the smaller, uh, uh, more community-based hospitals, and that's sort of just. Uh, that comes from the need of the patients, I guess, and also mm -hmm. um, the, the the advancement uh, of technology and probably the affordability of the technology makes smaller hospitals feel that they could invest into a endovascular and neurointerventional suite uh, so that they can provide this kind of care in their community. Do you think it may be a little bit of nature of hospital e economics in the U.S. in that you know, I could see that there may be an incentive to treat unruptured aneurysms, you know, because the aftercare is usually not too significant, whereas the substrate that you need for treating ruptured aneurysms may be a little bit higher as far as ICU care and that sort of thing. And so, you know, maybe some of those aneurysms, you know, that are admitted to smaller hospitals are being transferred out to uh, larger hospitals. Do you think that may play play a role at all? Yes, um, I, I definitely think so. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, thanks for bringing up this point, Dr. Tari. I think uh, the the two points are actually pointing toward one direction, just as you suggested, that for smaller hospitals, it's likely that a ruptured aneurysm, which requires uh, long-term neuro-ICU stay, uh, you know, a large amount of resources just to care for the patient in addition to uh, the interventional needs for the patient, uh, probably mm -hmm. make them transfer patients to larger hospitals. And it's m more likely smaller hospitals will do elective non-ruptured aneurysm cases. And, uh, you know, it, there is a possibility that uh, uh, the volume of the smaller hospitals are still not as much as the bigger teaching hospitals, and we may mm -hmm. see a little bit of this uh, uh, increased mortality in the smaller hospitals for ruptured aneurysms for that reason. Oh, that makes sense. It was also interesting, and I guess this has been found with other endovascular-based uh, procedures, but it appears that there, there was uh, more coiling procedures performed in, in uh, the white population than the black population. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, again, that trend has been found with some of the cardiac procedures as well, I guess. But do you have any thoughts on why that may be? You know, I, I don't think this is something that is uh, particularly uh, uh, special for neurosurgery or, or aneurysm patients. Mm -hmm. um, I think, just as you said, the sort of access of care uh, has historically uh, been the uh, challenge for minority patients, and mm -hmm. this is uh, certainly true for cardiac uh, care uh, categorization, uh, and has been quite well studied for uh, also tumor groups, uh, brain tumor groups, uh, 
So I think there is uh, sort of historically uh, a challenge for minority Hispanics, blacks, to obtain the same access of care as uh, as Caucasians. But uh, mm-hmm. at the same time, I think uh, we found uh, in our paper that uh, uh, the trend for there is, seems to be a trend for uniformity of care delivery over the decade. Okay. Um, okay. One of our tables, we, we found that, you know, in the early part of the decade, uh, there is definitely a significant, uh, there's a significant decrease uh, between the Caucasians and the minorities uh, of mm-hmm. how many of them are spoiled or how many of them are clipped. But in the latter half of the decade, and all these differences even out, there's no longer significant so I think it's uh, it's sort of uh, uh, again the spread of technology uh, has become more available than is available to everybody. Great. Now, admittedly, there are inherent biases using a retrospective database review. Are there any things that you did to uh, limit the bias for this study? Yes. One major caveat um, of um, a study using the uh, administrative database. Uh, is that uh, the, the NIS does not uh, provide clinical information on admission, such as how to pass grade, uh, sites and location, the aneurysm, uh, etc. Uh, so, so these factors cannot really be utilized in analyzing the um, uh, the results. Uh, and also, the treatment selection, uh, either coiling or clipping, is obviously uh, not randomized. And the rationale for utilizing either coiling or clipping is not known from the data mm-hmm. set. Uh, so that has to be taken into consideration as well. Uh, a, a third uh, caveat for uh, for using an administrative database is uh, coding accuracy. Um, in fact, Dr. Tamargo's group in Johns Hopkins uh, published a paper in 2009 describing uh, significant discrepancies between their own department record and uh, a Maryland state uh, administrative database. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we thought the NIS has been very well maintained and uh, is the largest database available in the country and uh, uh, has been utilized for many uh, other studies in different medical fields as well as in neurosurgery. Uh, and many of the codes we have used for our study has been uh, utilized by other groups and has been mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of vetted uh, for that purpose. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think for the study to identify trends and uh, uh, tracking uh, and analyzing how the utilization of a particular health product, in this case, clicking versus calling, uh, this database is quite powerful, and I think uh, uh, it's uh, it's quite widely recognized. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Ning, you've exhausted my questions. Do you have any additional comments about the study that you'd like to make? Again, uh, Dr. Tar, thank you for, for inviting us to um, discuss this paper. I think uh, this is not the only uh, study uh, in the literature that uh, suggests uh, an increase in utilization of a calling. Um, but, you know, I, at the same time, I think uh, the result itself sort of just suggests a high-profile randomized trial can really make a big difference in how mm-hmm. practice pattern uh, changes in this country. And uh, as physicians, we um, really need to uh, be aware and participate and in, uh, 
interpreting the results of these data and keep our skills sharp. I definitely agree. Um, well, Ning, thanks so much for spending time with me this morning, and congratulations. This work is fantastic. Thank you. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.